Welcome to Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. On today's episode, we'll be talking to Shelly Archambault, one of high tech's first female African-American CEOs. In her book, Unapologetically Ambitious, Shelly shares her story of growing up an ambitious black girl in the racially charged 1960s and 70s. She recounts how she overcame the challenges she faced as a young woman, a wife and mother, managing her responsibilities while climbing the ranks at IBM and brings readers and listeners on a wild ride through the busts and booms of Silicon Valley in the early 2000s, detailing the risks she took and the strategies she engaged to steer her family, her career, and her company, Metric Stream, toward success. Shelly, thank you so much for being a part of the Own It podcast. We are grateful for your time. Oh, listen, I've been looking forward to speaking with you, Tiffany. This is going to be fun. Excellent. Um, Unapologetically Ambitious, your book. I got to start with the name because we as women often hear ambitious isn't always a good word when it's associated with a woman. Was this intentional when you, when you, when you picked that title? Very intentional. I actually had the entire book written, Tiffany, and hadn't had a title figured out. And I knew I wanted the word ambition in it. Because yes, I was told many times and friends have been told many times that they're ambitious and it's not always meant as a compliment, which is ridiculous because studies show that people who are ambitious actually are happier in life, whether or not they achieve their ultimate aspiration. So I'm like, all right, I want ambition in there, but I can't just call it ambition. So I was having a conversation with friends and we were talking about how much women apologize. And I said, you know, I feel like women are raised from the cradle to apologize because yes, we apologize for five, 10% of the time when we actually did something wrong, but the other 90 to 95% of the time we say, I'm sorry, it's to make the rest of the world feel better. It's to show empathy, to show we care, right? Connection, ease smooth tensions, right? All those things, we use it like salt, right? Add salt just makes it all taste a little better. Well, we've got to stop doing that because when people we say, I'm sorry all the time, people think we really are sorry. And I said, you know what, that's it, that's it unapologetically ambitious. Everyone, everyone deserves to be ambitious and nobody should have to apologize for it. Was there a moment that you can recall when when you figured out that maybe you were ambitious and you needed to sort of hide that from people a little bit? (laughs) Yes, I'll tell you the story. I was, uh, I started at IBM. I started out in sales and another more senior uh, salesperson said to me, you know, it's early in career, oh, hi, Da-da-da. we're talking. And she said, oh, what do you plan to do? What do you want to do in, you know, with your career? I said, oh, I want to be CEO. And here I am as first, just beginning as a sales rep, but she kind of looked at me, right? And I thought, hmm, maybe I shouldn't say CEO right now. Maybe I should just pick a job a couple levels above, right? And so that was the last time I put CEO in terms of right out there with people I didn't actually know. So yes, there were definitely times when you learn that, okay, right, let's let's get within other people's frameworks of what they can imagine versus just what you can imagine. Uh, the neat thing is the woman that I said that to, she's a friend till this day. And she tells everybody, Shelly told me she was going to be CEO when she first started. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you've, if, you've, if you've gotten back to her to see if we're friends to this day. <laughs> oh, that that's excellent. You knew from a very early age that you wanted to be a CEO. How did that happen? How did that happen? Oh my gosh. You know, you have that whole uh, obligatory conversation, your junior year with the guidance counselor, right? Which is they come in, they say, all right, do you want to go to college? Because you have a whole process you have to go through. And I said, yes, definitely college. Well, what do you want to do after college? And I said, honestly, I don't know. I just want a job. I can keep my thermostat at 72 degrees in the wintertime. I can eat out at restaurants and I can travel. 
right? That's what I want. And she said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, oh, clubs, organizations. I'm in all these things. And I like, I like leading them. And she said, well, you know, clubs and business, kind of the same thing. You get people together, do a common mission and get things done. And literally at 16 in that meeting, I said, done, I'm going to be a CEO. Now, Tiffany, did I really know what that meant? No, I literally just picked it, but I'm a goal oriented person. So now I had a goal. And so that became, okay, that's the goal. So let's figure out a plan. Let's go execute on it. And I was a woman on a mission. And that's literally how I spent my career. What did you like about being CEO? You did it for a very long time in various organizations. You know, what, what was your favorite parts of that? Oh, my favorite part of being a CEO was helping to develop people and seeing them accomplish even more than they thought they could. Seeing mm-hmm. the number of people that worked for me and are now CEOs themselves, right? Or running major divisions or parts of companies. I, that part I really, really enjoyed. I enjoy winning. I'm competitive. So I also enjoyed winning in the marketplace, right? You know, kicking competition, getting out. I mean, that was all fun. So I enjoyed a lot of, a lot of aspects of being CEO. You know, it's interesting. We often, I I hear parallels to to coaching, you know, the best CEOs are, are really great coaches. Did you see yourself as that too? Oh, I definitely did. Definitely did. I, you know, one of my statements, when people would pop in my office, right, something that's not scheduled or whatever, they pop in the office and they come in and start talking and I always like stop, say, okay, what hat am I wearing? Am I wearing the CEO hat or am I wearing the mentor hat, the coach hat, the just listen because I got to get something off my chest hat? What hat am I wearing? And the reason I would do that is how you respond is very different. And if you just assume that every time somebody walks in the room, that they're coming to you as the CEO, I think you'll miss opportunities to actually deeply engage with people and to give them space to be able to, because sometimes they just need to vent and it's okay. Okay. Then no judgment. I'm listening, but I'm not going to take any action. I'm not going to do anything as a result of this, right? Just know all I'm doing is giving you space to vent, but you're walking out of here with the same problem that you walked in with. Anyway, I think that's an important element. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I'm impressed with, you know, you acknowledging that, that holistic view you're willing to take of a team member, you know, that you're willing to say, who am I? I'm not, I'm not sure all CEOs are like that. Um, in that same vein, what is it about you, Shelly, that makes you the leader that you are? Is there, is there an interpersonal piece of you? You know, what is it about you, do you believe, that it may or may not have always been a strength, by the way, um, but you've, you've identified as something that makes you a unique leader? I genuinely care about people. Fundamentally, I like people. I care about people. And it's on that premise that everything I do is built. My leadership style is a servant leader. I believe that if I make the team around me successful, then I'll be successful. That's why I always look at people as whole people. So everything I do, communications, you know, we spend a lot of time on communications because that's the piece. You know, if you don't tell people what you're thinking and what you're doing, they're going to make assumptions right or wrong. They're going to fill this gap or void with whatever, you know, they want to. So I, you know, I never thought about it before, Tiffany, but I think the fundamental core of me is I genuinely care about people. Mm-hmm. I'm sure others would say that about you too. You talk a lot about work-life integration, which we, you know, women in the workplace say to ourselves, we're guessing that our male colleagues don't get asked this question about managing so many things. I'm just, we're just guessing. We don't have hard, hard data that that happens, but we're just going to, for purposes of this conversation, we're just going to guess that we as women tend to have that question and that challenge. 
you have some pretty unique strategies in achieving work-life integration. Would you like to share with our listeners? Yeah, certainly. So first thing is, you know, I'm a big believer in dividing and conquering. So when I delegate, I delegate ownership, not just the task. And by delegating ownership, it comes out of my brain. I don't worry about it anymore. So that's, that's one, you know, don't let people just help you because if they help you, you still own it. You can help them because they own it, right? But give away ownership. So that's one. Um, two, try to do multiple things at the same time. You know, I'm big on walks and talks. When I was a CEO, if we had, if I had one-on-one meetings, unless they had to show me a presentation, PowerPoint, whatever, I'm like, well, can we do a walk? And literally we'd go outside, we'd walk and we'd have our one-on-one. Why? Because I need exercise, right? I don't have time. So this gave me multiple ways in terms of to do that. I still do that today. Pop in the earbuds with people and we do a walk and talk. If there is events, like I love the performing arts. And back when you could actually go to the performing arts, I would do that. You know, my husband and I would go and we'd invite 30 friends. Why? Because I want to see it. I want to see my friends. We make an event out of it. And so suddenly I'm integrating all these things in one evening, right? Versus serializing it, you know, and then show your whole person, you know, people in my company, especially as I was building it and growing it, they knew my husband, you know, they knew it's again, it's back to we're whole people, all those things, just integrate your life. Don't think about them as separate, but equal. We learned a long time ago, separate, but equal is not equal. It doesn't work. So put these things together. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned your partner because it does sound like you, you, you really are a team and that's so important. And in your book, you talk about, you know, your husband playing such a role in your success. Absolutely. Listen, life is a team sport and that is true at home as well. And, you know, many of the strategies we learn in the office, the importance of having a vision, right? A mission, the whole bit. We, we learned that from early on. Well, guess what? It's also true at home. Do you have a common vision? for what you're trying to create with your family? Everybody know what that is? Are you on the same page? We don't spend time talking about those kinds of things personally. And I will tell you, it's important because you agree on where you're going. It makes everyday decisions so much easier. It's not a, a decision and an angst and a you know negotiation every time because you've already agreed on where it is that you're trying to go. So spend the time personally to think about, okay, what are we trying to do here? You know, my husband and I even talked about what do we want our kids to be? Right? What were they going to? What were our priorities? And it could only be a few things. And so we decided, okay, we want to raise kids that are caring, independent, right, and self-sufficient. So every decision we made, that was the rubric. It made it a whole lot easier. So have a vision for your personal life, just like you do in your business life. So interesting. And I'm wondering if COVID, a little bit of a silver lining in that. It, it I heard um, one one husband say, you know, I used to walk right by the laundry basket and now I walk by it knowing that his partner's, you know, working in the office and homeschooling half the time and still, you know, if I don't fold that, she's going to have to, and I don't know when she's going to do that. So there's a part of me that just wonders if, you know, maybe this COVID exercise might, might help more, foster more teamwork at home. I don't know. know. Listen, I, I hope it does, but you know what? It also takes two. And that's why I said we have to work on delegating. You know, he'd walk by it and know that she would do it. Why is that like the default job responsibility? You know, so we need to make sure that everybody is pulling their weight in the family. We all have roles just like in companies. Everybody's got a role to play. Same thing. And guess what? A four and five-year-old, they know their colors. They can separate laundry. Everybody needs jobs. All right. Um, It makes it so much easier. 
And by the way, they'll have fun and feel a part of the family too. It's amazing how all that works, isn't it? It does. It does. And a really smart person said to me one time too, you know, you'll be treated as you allow people to treat you. That can be really hard for us sometimes. Yep, it is. Overwhelmed by data, the Master of Business Analytics program at Iowa State University can help with that. Their program will teach you how to organize your data and use it to drive decisions, taking you from down and out to the data-driven top dog. The program is 100% online, it's customizable, plus there's no entrance exam. If you're ready to make your data work for you, visit ivybusiness.iastate.edu for more information. Let's talk about the decision to write this book because you have you have a great story. It's not always easy to talk about yourself. What finally pushed you over the edge to get this done? Mm. So I have tried throughout my career to be accessible. I'm a person that if you reach out to me, you know I, I respond. And early in my career, people reach out. Oh, can we have coffee and pick your brain and say yes? Right, go to lunch, do the say yes. But as I took on more and more responsibility. I still respond to emails, phone calls, whatever. I couldn't meet with everybody that wanted to meet with me. And frankly, it was agonizing because I wanted people to see that I'm a real person. And so if I can do this, you can too. There's nothing special about me. And so not being able to meet and interact and have that, I was just like, ah. And I said, you know what? One day I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write down the strategies, the approaches, the hacks, what worked, what didn't. But I'm going to talk about it holistically because so many times the stories we hear are business. So here's what I did. I took step one, step two, had a little hurdle, jumped over it, bing, right? Made it happen. Well, it's one dimensional. You don't see everything that went on around them personally, all the challenges, the trade. And so you think it's easy. It's not easy for anyone, for anyone. And I wanted people to see life is not easy because nobody tells us this. And I wanted to share much more holistically. So that's why I decided to, I wanted to write the book. And I said, I'll do it in phase two, which is after I pass the CBO, CEO baton and I have time, that's going to be my, my mission. And so that's what I did. When I passed the CEO baton, I started working on the book. It was, it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. What's it been like during COVID, you know, writing a book, launching a book? How have you navigated all of that? Oh my goodness. So launching a book. Well, I went from having a book tour and plan and everything else to suddenly everything is canceled. And it's like, man, three years of work and a whole bit and now nothing. I'm like, well, no, we have to just figure out a different way of doing it. And so I leveraged all the help I could. I talked to people, I did, got ideas and thoughts and I put all kinds of things in emotion. So everything from social media <laughs> stuff to doing as many podcasts as I could, to calling up friends and saying, hey, will you pull people together and I'll just do a talk I mean, was, and whatever I could to get the word out. So it was really very different. You know, I spent most of my time sitting in the chair right here, <laughs> just talking. So it's been a, it's been a bit exhausting, but exciting too. Calling all Corridor and Quad Cities emerging women leaders. Applications to the Elevate Leadership Program close on April 23rd. All the details at wlcglobal.org. I'm interested in your perspective now that you're on, you know, many public boards and your past leadership as CEO. I'm interested in how you feel the workplace has changed post-COVID, you know, pluses and minuses. How do you think we're going to fare? Good and bad. So post-COVID, I do believe that in general, people will be more empathetic. And I think that's a good thing. I do believe that 
Women have lost a ton of ground, especially women of color, and it's going to take a while. That's not just going to come back tomorrow. That's going to take a while to come back. And I think that's been one of the real downsides to COVID. And if we really want to address it, we, and I use the collective we as business leaders, have to be intentional about trying to actually solve it. Because think about it, as companies, we know who left. We know who they are. So why aren't they the first people we reach out to to come back, right? Mm-hmm. So there are things that we can do to be intentional about solving this. But too many times we aren't. We just go through our normal process. Okay, we're ready to hire now. And we go through our normal, regular hiring thing. I'm like, really? So we have to be intentional if we really want to address some of these issues that we've created as a result of COVID. The Women Lead Change store is open. We've got apparel, books, drinkware, and more at wlcstore.myshopify.com, including the new Girls with Goals collection with a portion of the funds supporting the Girls with Goals Fund. As a woman of color, uh, what was it like often being the only, often being the first? Can you give us a little perspective on that? One of the things that tends to happen is you get just a ton of microaggressions. And what I try to tell people is you have to be like Teflon, meaning don't catch them. Don't let them stick because if you let them stick, they'll be way too heavy. And before you know it, you just can't even move because it just happens so much. So instead, try to figure out how to reframe it in your mind. Um, And it still happens. I mean, I've actually had this happen. So somebody's like, oh, you're on the Verizon board. Oh, that's terrific. It's so good. They're focused on diversity. Right. Okay. What do you think you meant by that? Is it because I'm black? Because I'm a female? Is it because I'm both? Right. So I could take it as, okay, he's, he's saying that he doesn't think I'm qualified, right? Which is why I'm here. So I could take it that way. But if I take it that way, it sticks. All right. No, reframe it, reframe it. It's like, wait a minute. You feel so insecure about the fact that I got this role and you didn't, that you're trying to make me feel badly about having it. I feel sorry for you. Didn't stick, right? Didn't stick. So we have to reframe in our minds, right? These things that come, because listen, let me just make one other point here. It's really important, Tiffany. Doors have been opening for people for all kinds of reasons since the beginning of mankind, okay? In the past, I got jobs because my father played golf with somebody at the golf club, right? Or my mother's family has been going to this university forever. And so that's why I got into the university. Or I got introduced because a neighbor knows someone, right? Networking all the time. And what's never networking has never been seen as a negative thing, right? Oh yeah, people open doors for people all the time. Well, guess what? People of color and a lot of women, we haven't been part of those networks, okay? So networks, doors are opening, just not for us. So suddenly when there's some intention about opening doors for women and people of color, suddenly it's a bad thing. Wrong. Doors have been opening for people for all kinds of reasons forever. And we never said, oh, well, you only got that job because your father played golf with so-and-so, right? We never said that, but that was the case. So don't let anybody make you feel badly about why a door has been opened. The only thing to focus on is what you do when you get on the other side, okay? So do not focus, do not sweat, do not feel badly. When people say stuff to you, just remind yourself in your head, yeah, your door's been opening for your family forever for all kinds of reasons, right? That not because you necessarily deserved it. So I'm not going to worry about this for me. We have to reframe these messages. Do not let this stuff stick because when it sticks, then we feel bad. We feel guilty. We feel insecure. We feel, and that's ridiculous. Don't let people judge you. They don't know you. 
They do not know you. They don't know what you're capable of. They don't know what you've been through. They don't know any of it. So do not accept their judgment. Wow. Shelly, thank you. That was amazing. One last question here on the Own It podcast. Tell me something about you that may not have always seemed like a positive. And once you leaned into it and once you owned it, it was magic. So it might be just, um, just admitting it. I'm a klutz. <laughs> I, just, klutz. I, am, I mean, at any given time, I have burn marks on my arms from cooking. I mean, crazy places. It's like, how do I burn my, I mean, I like to cook, but how do I burn myself all the time? How do I trip and fall? And I mean, I'm just, I'm just this klutz. Okay. So, you know, for a long time, you try to hide the fact that you're this klutz and all this stuff is happening. And now it's kind of like, you know what? I just am. So yes, I am fallible. All right. I am therefore I'm careful. My kids are like, mom, be careful. Don't do this. Right. My husband used to forbid me from actually running outside. You can run on the treadmill, but not outside. Cause yeah, I would fall. Something would happen. It's just crazy. <laughs> no. And it's interesting. Once you said that, I guarantee you there are heads nodding. There are heads <laughs> nodding who are listening and saying, yep, yep. I can relate. That's me too. And that's all part of being accessible and and vulnerable and authentic. And Shelly, you have been all of those things for us today. So I'm grateful for your time on the Own It podcast. I'm grateful for your time with our um, ICR attendees and conference goers. You are making a difference and what a wonderful paradigm shift that you're creating for, for those who may never have even thought they could be a CEO. You're shifting paradigms, my friends. So we are grateful at Women Lead Change. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation, Tiffany. Be well, my friend. I really appreciate any time someone like Shelly acknowledges imposter syndrome. It gives us all permission to acknowledge that that is real and permission to call it out for what it is. You'll be able to hear more from Shelly at the upcoming Women Lead Change All Access Conference on May 4th, 2021. It's all virtual and registration is open now at wlcglobal.org. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate that so much. More information and tickets can be found at wlcglobal.org.